Hey, let's thank this worship team once again for leading us in worship. Man, what a great job they did. Well, grab your Bibles if you would, and let's go to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Um, as you're turning there, uh, I want to just share some things with you of where we're going today. Uh, there are certain messages that you receive that change you, certain messages in life, certain words that are spoken to you that have the ability to change the trajectory of your life or to shape you in a very profound way. And, and those uh, messages, oftentimes, they demand a response from us, and that response also shapes us and changes us. And I'll just think about this for a moment. Uh, through my life, I can think of several instances in my life where words spoken changed the course of my life. For instance, whenever I was, uh, it was 23 years ago this May, I got on one knee and I looked at Adrienne at the time, Opelt, um, and I, I made this statement to her and I asked the question, will you marry me? And uh, the words that came out of her mouth next, really it was one word, changed the course of life for me forever. She looked at me and she said, yes. And I just wanna tell you, there was so much shock in my life in that moment that she would say yes. I thought to myself, this woman is beautiful. I'm gonna have the privilege of sharing the rest of my life with her. Yes, she has poor taste in men, but she said yes, and that's all that matters. And so here, here I am, life changed six years later. That same woman comes to me. I was playing a pickup game of basketball at a, at a local gym, and she comes and interrupts the game. Hey, I need to talk to you. And so I knew something was wrong or something was great, and so I walked out, and she looks at me, and she's like, I didn't want to interrupt the game, but like we're pregnant. And man, those words immediately, like everything in me, I knew life was about to change. And uh, my response to that was not so great. Like I, we celebrated it, I hugged her, I was so excited, but I was in such shock that I did the dumbest thing. I looked at her and I was like, hey, that's awesome. Can we celebrate when I get home? I'm in the middle of a game. And just for the record, uh, men, not a good idea, all right? Not a good idea. Um, 16 years ago this Easter weekend, um, we, it was the middle of the night. My wife was nine months pregnant with our uh, son, Noah. Uh, he's turned 16 yesterday. And uh, I was preparing to preach the second Easter sermon as a senior pastor in my life. So I was so amped up, so excited. This is the Super Bowl Sunday for pastors, uh, Easter. And so I'm, I'm there and we're in the middle of the night. She nudges me at 3 a.m. Easter morning and says, hey, it's time. I'm like, no, it's not. Church doesn't start for a few hours. No, 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 it's time. We gotta go to the hospital. And so I missed that Easter because I was celebrating the birth of my son, who's by the way, 16. Let's celebrate Noah just for a moment, yeah. So the point is, is that there's words and there are phrases that we hear that change the direction of our life, that shape us. And our response to that also changes the direction of our life. And I want to submit to you this Easter Sunday that the seven greatest words ever spoken in human history were the words of the angels by the tomb that day when they said to the disciples, he is not here. He is risen. Those seven words change history. They, cha they change the, the landscape of eternity for anyone who would receive that message. Those, that message has power. And what I wanna talk about this morning is what it can do in our life today. And what our response is uh, to this message today. You see, Jesus' message to the world is that I'm alive. And because I'm alive, there is life available to everyone. 
Not just life after this life is over, which is true, but life abundantly right now. You see, the message of Easter that Jesus is alive is words that penetrate your marriage. It can, it can transform the depression that you battle. It can break the bonds of addiction in your life. It can take any moments and seasons of your life of darkness and give you hope in the middle of that. It's not just a message of life after this life. It is a message that brings life into our life today, right now. And I want us to look at this message and I want us to see our response to that this morning. So if you got your Bibles, Mark chapter 16 is where we're going to be. Um, if you're there, say the Bible is true. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. A lot has happened up until this verse. Jesus has been betrayed, crucified, um, died, put in a borrowed tomb. Um, he is resurrected and now he is meeting with his disciples and he's giving them marching orders. And in this marching orders, he's gonna show us what is his central message? What does the death, burial, and resurrection mean for us and what is our response to it? This is what we get in verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. I wanna see, first of all, the message that Jesus gives us here. The message that he gives us here, it's very clear. Look what he says here in verse number 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And proclaim the gospel. The key word here is gospel. This is a summary word that helps us understand everything that Jesus has accomplished and what it means for our life. The word gospel often gets lost in an uh, American culture because we kind of just throw it around casually, but we un don't understand oftentimes the implications of it. So let me give you some uh, backdrop on this word. The, the word gospel in the Greek language is the Greek word euangelion. Now in the Greek speaking world of Jesus's day, this was not necessarily a religious word or a spiritual word or a church word. It was a word that literally meant, translated, an announcement of good news, a proclamation of good news, uh, an announcement of victory. Most often, this word was used um, as a military word. Whenever there would be a, a battle fought and a war was fought and a war was won, there would be a proclamation or an announcement of victory that the enemy has been defeated. So get the picture in your mind if there was a particular nation and there was a, an invading army, an enemy that was coming their way, the, 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 the soldiers and the military armed forces would rise up and they would leave their nation and would go to the battlefield and there they would fight and they would war. But as they were battling and as they were fighting, everyone back home, they would have been wondering and they would have been filled with anxiety and potentially fear because they would be back here going, listen, what's gonna happen? Are we gonna be uh, attacked by the enemy? Is, are they gonna defeat our army? Or are we gonna be victorious? Are we gonna be able to be free or are we gonna be conquered? This is what they would have wrestled with. But as the war was being fought and the army defeated the enemy, what they would do is they would send a messenger back. And that messenger would carry what they called an uengelion, an announcement of victory and a declaration of good news. 
And here's what they would do. They would run as fast as they could from the battlefield and they would run into every city and every town and they would go in and they would declare with all that they have for everyone to hear, there is victory. Your army has been victorious. The enemy has been defeated. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in anxiety. We have been victorious. We don't have to fear the enemy because the enemy has been defeated. And there would be these celebrations as the Uengelion, the announcement of victory was made. I want you to just think about this for a moment. Of all the words that they could have chosen to articulate what Jesus came to bring, they chose this word, gospel, a declaration of victory, a declaration of good news that the enemy has been defeated. See, the Bible teaches us something. The Bible tells us that because of our sin, humanity has been severed from our relationship with God. The Bible, in fact, in Ephesians, it tells us that we are the enemies of God and we are the deserving objects of God's wrath. This is because God is holy and he's righteous and our sin has consequences. I know we live in a world that we don't like to talk about the consequences of bad choices and we wanna explain away and try to excuse ourselves and justify why we do what we do. But the Bible says, look, you can do that, but there are still consequences. That God's judgment is coming to us because of our sin. And because our relationship with God has been severed, not only are we under the judgment of God, but we are now under the control and the rule and the reign of the evil one, the kingdom of darkness that is very real in this world. And there's no denying that there's a very real darkness in the world around us. Just watch television for seven minutes and you're gonna see that there's destruction and there, there, are, there is evil all over the world. That is the evidence of the kingdom of darkness that is very real. And because of our sin, here's what the Bible tells us, is that we are slaves to our sin. We are under the rule and reign of sin and death, and hell is our destiny, and we have no power, no power in and of ourselves to overcome our enemy. That death is for all of us because the wages of our sin is death, and this is an eternal death. And so we live without Jesus in a world. We are bound to our sin. We are under the tyranny of sin, death, and hell, and the grave, and there's nothing we can do to overcome the enemy. But the Bible tells us that's why Jesus came. You see, Jesus, the great king of the universe, he put on skin and he lived among us and he lived the life we couldn't live. The perfection of God was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And then he goes to a cross and on the cross, here's what Jesus does. He dies for our sins so that the judgment and the wrath of God that we deserved, Jesus received in its entirety in himself. It is through the death of Jesus that our sins are paid for. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is put in a tomb, but he didn't stay there. We're here today to celebrate the fact that three days later, he resurrected from the grave. And with his resurrection, hear what Jesus did. Jesus not only paid the price for our sins, but through the resurrection, it was God's stamp of approval saying, paid in full. And here is what Christ accomplished. The chains of sin and death have been broken. The enemy that has held us in bondage has been defeated. Jesus Christ has been victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave, and in him we have brand new life. Is anybody thankful for that this Easter? This is what Christ has done. So the summary of the gospel is what? Listen to this. Here's the gospel. The gospel is that we are sinners who deserve God's wrath, but the good news of the gospel is this. Jesus died for our sin and was resurrected so that through faith in him, 
we might be forgiven, reconciled to God the Father, made alive by the Holy Spirit who enables us to experience the ever-restoring life of Jesus. And here's what that means. It means that the enemy that keeps us defeated has been ultimately defeated so that now we can live in victory. You see, the resurrection of Jesus, notice this, is that he's made us alive, reconciled us to the Father, so we now can experience the ever-restoring life of Jesus. See, the resurrection of Jesus does not only give us hope for eternity in heaven one day, it gives us hope for life right now. The ever-restoring life of Jesus, so when we experience and encounter him, we are made alive in him, which means the chains of sin are broken today. That means that the life of Jesus' resurrection now can be the life that we live. He can give fresh life to our marriage, fresh life into our depression. He can help us reconcile relationships that are broken. We can now live in the freedom without being bound by our anxiety and our depression. There is life today and forevermore, and all of this is because Jesus Christ has once and for all defeated the enemy and we are victorious in him. This is what Christ has come to do. You say, well, who is this for? Well, Jesus tells us right here in the text. Look what he says in verse number uh, 15. He says, he says and, and proclaim, uh, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. To the whole creation. You know what that means? No one gets left out. That this message of victory, this new life that's available in Christ is available to everyone, no matter who you are or what you've done. So I wanna say this, if you could be the most religious person in the room, but religion will never be enough. What you need is a savior. You can be the most irreligious person in the room. And I want you to know that you cannot, cannot outsend God's grace, that his grace is greater than your sin. No one is too far gone to be reached by Jesus. So whether you're religious and you, you evaluate yourself as being a good person, you need Jesus. If you are a person who you know you're not good, look, great news for you is the same God and Jesus that the religious person needs is the same God and Jesus that can meet you where you are. You see, this is what separates Jesus' message from the message of the world. You see, the, the religion is the message of the world for the most part. And religion and the gospel are not the same thing. People ask me all the time, are you a religious person? I'm not a religious person. I used to be a religious person, but I'm not a religious person anymore. Because what, what I would say is, is that until I met Jesus, you see, religion is all about rules you follow in hopes to attain something that you don't have. The gospel is about a person you surrender to and get to know who sets you free. You see, this is the difference. See, most of us in this room, many of us in this room maybe, you, at one point in your life, religion has been your pursuit. Some of you right now, religion is your pursuit. You think it's about you getting better and you'll tag on Jesus to it. You think it's about you getting better and you working harder and you doing more and you becoming a better person. I hear this all the time. Man, I just need my life to change. I need to clean myself up. Well, have you, have you, have you come to Jesus? Yeah, I'm working on that. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to work on that. You see, here's what religion, religion preaches the message and says this. Religion says you do. You do, you do this, you do this, you do this, and maybe Jesus will embrace you. But the gospel doesn't say you do, the gospel says it's done. 
See, religion tells you if you wanna have worth and value and you wanna be loved by God, then you've gotta work and serve and try and maybe one day you'll be embraced by him. That's what religion says. The gospel says, no, no, no. You want purpose and meaning in life? You wanna find your identity? Come to realize that the God of the universe did all the work for you and that your love is rooted not in conditions of your performance, but in the unconditional love of a God who doesn't just possess love, but a God who the Bible says is love, and he loves you so much that he sent Christ to die for you. And if you wanna look at approval, find your approval in Jesus, because when God looks at Jesus, he looks at Jesus in perfection. And when we're in Jesus, he looks at us in the same way. See, religion is about what you do. The gospel is about what God has done in Jesus for you. You see, that's why, see, what religion does is religion gives us good advice, but Jesus came to give us good news. And there's a difference between good news and good advice. Let me illustrate it like this. So if I was to come to you and I was to say to you, hey, listen, man, I've got a huge debt. I got a debt, and, and I'm gonna be honest with you, it's a debt that I've accumulated myself. I've made a lot of bad choices. I've made a lot of bad decisions. I've been irresponsible with the way I've managed finances. But my debt is so big, there's no way in a thousand lifetimes I could pay my debt. Like I owe everybody money and like it would take me years and years. There's no way I could ever pay this debt back. You would be very sympathetic if we were friends and you would probably sit down and say, tell me more about it. So we would talk about it. Now imagine in this moment, you're listening to that and you're taking a, a few notes and when the end of the conversation, you slide a piece of paper over and this is what it says. Hey, here's 47 things that you need to do to try to alleviate your debt. Now notice the language there. 47 things that you need to do in order to try to alleviate your debt. If you'll follow these things, there's a great chance that you're gonna be able to get out of the hole that you're in. But you gotta follow everyone perfectly. And if you don't follow everyone perfectly, there's no chance. But if you follow everyone perfectly, there's a good chance that you could overcome the debt issue. Now here's the question. Is that good news or is that good advice? That's good advice. Because there may be very practical things on there, but here's the problem with good advice. Good advice doesn't guarantee that I'll ever have that debt removed. And it takes me doing all of the work. There's not, in that fact, what I would do is go 47 things. If I could do the 47 things, I wouldn't be in the debt that I'm in. Like these are all great things, but if I was able to do that, I wouldn't be where I am. And so now, rather than feeling the uh, freedom and the anxiety lifted, I would feel less freedom and more anxiety because now in addition to worrying about my debt, I gotta do these 47 things. Now that's not good news, that's good advice. Imagine I have the same conversation with the same friend and they're taking notes. When it's all said and done, they slide a piece of paper over and they said, tomorrow morning I want you to take this to the bank and here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna go to Randy who's at the bank and you're gonna walk in, ask for Randy, tell Randy you're a friend of mine and you're gonna tell Randy you're gonna slide in this piece of paper and here's what's gonna happen. Randy's gonna transfer money from my account He's gonna put it in your account and then he's gonna give you a balance sheet and it's gonna say zero, your debt is gone. Now, is that good news or good advice? That's good news. Are you kidding me? You're gonna pay the debt? So when it's all said and done, like the debt's gonna be, you're gonna pay the debt and I'm not gonna owe any of it. Now listen, in that moment, there's a reason to celebrate because that's not good advice, that's good news. Now I look at my friend and go, man, listen, you were the best friend I've ever had in my life. Who in the world, what kind of a friend would do this thing for me that you would step in? It's my mess and you've come in and you've wiped the debt away. I would be so overwhelmed with love and affection for this friend that I would do anything for them, right? And listen to me, this is what Christ has done for us. 
You see, we owe a debt that we have accumulated our decisions. It wasn't somebody else's decisions. It was our choices to make the choices that we make. The sin against God, either great ways or small ways. But those offenses have piled up and we now owe God an insurmountable debt that we could never pay. In fact, it would take us eternity to pay for the sin debt that we owe. But God in his great love and mercy for us did not send Jesus to give us 47 ways for us to alleviate our own debt. He came so that he might do a transaction where his righteousness could be put on our account and our sin put in his account so that through that great exchange, we might have a balance of zero, but accredited a righteousness that will last us for all eternity. Because in Christ, here's what we receive. We receive not just forgiveness, but we receive righteousness, which is what we need to have a relationship with God. But it's not our righteousness. It's the perfection of Jesus that is eternal. This is what Christ has brought not good advice, good news. Now, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this? Well, Jesus tells us very clearly here in verse 15 and 16, again, read what he says here. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. I love this because the gospel is, we said it's an announcement or a proclamation of good news. Notice what Jesus says, go and proclaim uh, the good proclamation. In other words, this is a message that to the top of your lungs, you need to proclaim this announcement that there is hope for the world. Now notice what he says in verse 16. How do we respond to this? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. In other words, our debt will be paid. We will be reconciled and delivered from our enemy. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. In other words, the debt remains on us and we will be under the wrath of God to pay the price ourselves. I want you to listen to what Jesus says here. He says, whoever believes and is baptized, let's talk about believe for a few moments. This word believe is something that we've lost the understanding of in our context. Because we've watered believe down to just a mental agreement with a set of facts. Like I'm preaching Jesus and I'm preaching the resurrection this morning and there've been several amens and some of you that are saying amens, you, you would say, you would argue, yes, I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus lived, that he died and that he resurrected. Most of you in this room, you even get kind of chill bumps when you think about the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. So there are many of you in this room that you, you believe the facts and the truths about what the Bible says about Jesus. Some of you, you've been told these things from your parents and your grandparents and your favorite pastors and you've grown up and you sing songs about this. But, but somewhere along the way, your belief in Jesus has only been an intellectual belief, an agreement with a set of facts, but that's not what saving belief is according to the Bible. You see, the belief that Jesus is talking about here, whoever believes, is not just a mental agreement with a set of facts, but rather a repentance and surrender of trusting your entire life into Jesus, trusting him with all of who you are. The Bible talks about the, the picture of repentance, of turning from yourself and turning to Jesus, which is an act of surrender where you yield yourself fully to Jesus. See, a lot of us believe in Jesus but we've never trusted in Jesus. We have a mental agreement with the gospel and we know what the gospel is for, but we've never experienced it ourselves by surrendering our life fully into a relationship with Jesus. So we come to church and we sing some songs and we 
come to Easter celebrations and we wear our Sunday best, but if you looked at our life, there is no evidence of a surrendered life to Jesus. And see, the true measure of your relationship with Jesus is not what you do one day a week, it's the transforming work that he does all the other days of the week. It's the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean we're being transformed and there's a devotion that belief is a turning from ourself and resting in Jesus. Let me illustrate it like this. This chair um, is designed to give a person rest when their legs are weary and tired, right? And so I've had a long weekend. I preached last night. I'm gonna preach three times a day, but the time the day's over, I'm telling you, my legs are gonna be like jello, like just walking and pacing. And so my legs are gonna be tired. So if I come to you as a friend and say, hey, listen, my legs are tired, you're gonna say, hey, listen, there's a chair sitting you know, there. Why don't you sit in it? And so if I, if I was, man, it's a good, good, good word. So I get over near the chair and I'm just standing at the chair and I look at you and I'm like, man, this chair is doing nothing for me. You'd probably say, yeah, moron, sit in it. I was like, well, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm gonna study the chair for a few minutes. And so I begin to describe the chair. Okay, this chair is wood and it's uh, engineered. I, I bet structurally it probably will hold up 350, maybe 400 pounds. Um, it's, 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 it's made of wood. It's, 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 it's brown. It's got the, the grain here, a lot of scratch marks on it. So I'm, I'm describing the chair. I'm studying the chair. I can tell you all the things that I need to know about the chair. You need to know about the chair. But here's the problem. By doing this, I'm standing near the chair. I know a lot about the chair, but my legs are still tired. And why is that? It's because it's not enough to stand next to the chair. It's not enough to know about the chair. The chair can't do for me with me standing beside it, right? Well, what if I then told you, listen, you're, you're a friend, you're like, but you gotta sit down. Well, I believe the chair will hold me. Like, I, this chair is amazing. It will hold me, and I'm certain of that. I believe wholeheartedly. All the facts about the chair, I believe they're true. I even read a little paper about the chair that describes all of the, the ways in which it was made. And I believe that this chair will hold me. You would say to me, yeah, that's great. But the chair's not doing for you what it's intended to do for you because it's not enough to stand by it. It's not enough to know about it. It's not enough to believe in it. What if I told you then, okay, my legs are tired, so here's what we're gonna do. I'm next to the chair. I know about the chair. I even believe the chair will do for me what it says it'll do for me. I'm just gonna lean on the chair. Now, this gives me a little bit of relief, right? This leg, man, I, no weight on this leg. Now this leg's starting to get tired, so I'm gonna switch out a little bit. And so now what's happening is, is that some of the weight of my life is on the chair, but it's not giving me the relief and doing for me what the chair is meant to do, which is what? To give rest for my body. Now, if you're a good friend at this point, you are going, hey, you are a moron. You know about the chair. You're standing next to the chair. You can describe the chair. You believe the chair is gonna hold you. You're even leaning a little on the chair, but until you rest yourself in the chair Fully, the chair will never do for you what it's intended to do. What does it require? Belief. What is belief? It's this. Saving belief is not intellectual knowledge about. It's resting in. You see, now what's happening is, is that everything that I know about this chair is actually doing for me what I knew it could do. 
But I, I, this is not, this, 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 this moment doesn't transfer until I stop resting in and standing on and striving in my own ability and I relinquish myself to, the, to this chair. So here's what's happening now. The full weight of my body is on this chair. It is doing everything for me. And now, man, my legs feel pretty good because the chair is carrying the weight of my body no longer, it's no longer me. That makes sense? And I think maybe for many of you in this room, I'm describing your relationship with Jesus. I mean, you, you, you stand by Jesus. I mean, you proximity, like there's, there's even affection for Jesus. Like, man, I wanna be close to him. Some of you even, even know about Jesus. So you're standing by Jesus, you know about Jesus and you could describe Jesus and you can quote scriptures and you pride yourself in having the answers to the Bible questions. And so you know all about Jesus. Some of you even believe, you're like, yeah, I know G man, Jesus is, is my guy, man. He, he did live and he did die and he did resurrect. And I know, man, he is the son of God. And you even believe intellectually in everything you've read and learned about Jesus. Some of you use Jesus as a crutch to lean on when life gets hard or an add-on to your life, an addition that you make every now and then. He doesn't control your life. You're not resting fully in him. He's not dominating your life. You're not surrendered to him, but he is a part of your life. And for many of you in this room, this is your relationship with Jesus. But you've never come to that place where you've surrendered your life in saving faith and saving belief where you've rested the weight of this life and the life in eternity fully on Christ so that he now becomes the one who is in control of you. You see, it is not enough to stand by Jesus, to know about Jesus, to believe the things concerning Jesus, to lean on Jesus. We have to rest our eternity in Jesus, in his death and resurrection. And so this announcement of good news that there is a victory that is ours. Listen, it is quite possible for there to be a victory that could be yours but not be yours because you're resting in yourself. You see, this demanded for me to go from standing to sitting. It demanded something. It demanded repentance. Let me show you what repentance is. I'm trusting in my legs. Although I'm near the chair, I'm still trusting in myself. To repent is to turn from whatever you're living for or trusting in and put the full weight of your life in Jesus. And I just wanna encourage you this morning, if Jesus is an add-on to your life, which is the story for many of us, that's the story of my life for a lot of years. Jesus did not come to be an addition to your life, he came to transform and take over your life. And you cannot have the salvation or the good news of the victory that he has declared apart from this type of belief. And then he says, and be baptized. Whoever believes and is baptized. So what is baptism? Baptism is not what saves us, but it is what saved people do. That's why Jesus puts it together here. He shows us in a moment that baptism doesn't save us because he says, whoever does not believe will be condemned. And so the condemnation is not from not being baptized, it's from not believing. 
So we have to understand that believing we are saved and being baptized, we are declaring that we are saved. It goes with our salvation in this regard, is that as we surrender to Jesus, we surrender to him and experience his salvation, and then we publicly declare to the world around us, I belong to Jesus. I've sat in the chair of the gospel. You see, baptism is essential in our life. Baptism is this first act of obedience because baptism illustrates the gospel. So if you ever wanna know, what, what is baptism? So we're here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. What did Jesus do today? He resurrected, amen? This is what we're celebrating today. So when, when you see someone baptized, it's the picture of the resurrection. Jesus died and was buried and was raised to life on the third day. That's the picture of what we saw just a few moments ago in baptism. And so whenever we believe and we sit in the chair of Christ, here's what happens. Supernaturally, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus takes place in my life, and I become a brand new person. So here's what Jesus says. If you believe in me and you have rested in me, I want you to be baptized to illustrate and proclaim the resurrection that has occurred in your life. So whenever I stood in the baptistry after my salvation, these men that were here earlier, when you stood, saw them standing there, they were saying, this is what happened in my life. Jesus' death became my death. His burial became my burial. And I have now received the brand new life that he promised for those who would believe in him and rest fully in the gospel. For some of you today, you need to believe because you've, you've, you've stood by, you know about, you believe things concerning Jesus, but you've never rested in Jesus. You've never had saving belief. For some of you, it's time to go from standing near Jesus to resting in Jesus. And you need to be baptized. Others of you in this room, you've believed in Jesus. And maybe like the story we got last night, one of our band members, I love this young lady, um, led worship in the, in, the, in the service this morning. Last night, God spoke to her heart and she realized that a few months back she had sat in the chair. She had truly received Christ as her Lord and Savior but hadn't been baptized. And so last night she got baptized. For some of you, that's what you need to do today. And you're like, man, I, I, I didn't come prepared for that. That's okay. That's okay. We, we took care of you. We got, we got shorts. We got undergarments. We got T-shirts. We got everything you need. What's most important in this morning is not your agenda of what you wanted service to be, but the agenda of what God wanted, because it could be that many of you in this room, just like in all the other services we've had, Jesus wants to intersect your life and for the first time truly receive him and be baptized for others of you to be baptized because you've believed, but you've been disobedient in this area. And I'll just tell you, this is my story. This is, you know, I was talking about a moment ago, words that shape and change your life. And I'll never forget the words that I received, probably the most painful word, phrase ever said to me. Happened in my life just a few, just a few years before I graduated high school. I was at a gas station and a friend named Tammy came over and she said, hey, did you get the word, did you get the news? I was like, no, what news? And this next phrase, it has literally changed the trajectory of my life. She looked at me and she said, Michael is dead. And I was like, Michael who? And she's like, Michael. And I knew. This was one of my best friends, guy that I grew up with. He and his brother Brad, we grew up next to each other from the youngest of age. We did everything, vacation together, played sports together. We were, in, we were like brothers than we were friends. 
the night before he was killed in a car accident. He was 18 years old. Those words rocked my world. I was in a season of rebellion, uh, running from the Lord. I knew I needed to be saved, but I was running from God and I, I was standing by Jesus. I could tell you all the things about Jesus. I was even at times leaning on Jesus. I prided myself in being raised in church in the same time and I was not living for God. I would have told you though, oh yeah, me and, me, and, me and Jesus are great. But when I would lay my head on the pillow at night, I knew the life that I was living, I was trying to find in the things of the world what only Jesus could give. And in that moment, Michael is dead. All the things that I was trying to do to push off surrendering myself to Jesus came to a screeching halt. I recognized the brevity of life. And here's the thing that probably hit me harder than anything else. Michael had a relationship with Jesus and I did not. And I knew it. And I knew I would never see my friend again. I knew that. In that moment, the reality of where I was, the pretending that I was doing, standing beside the chair, I knew I couldn't pretend, I couldn't hide. I cried for four straight days. One of the darkest seasons of my life, still to this day. After the funeral, I went to a church service like this and I was broken. And when the invitation was given, I knew I could not go a minute further. I'm, the Holy Spirit, I feel like in that moment said to me, I have been calling you for years. This is your final call. I could not get to the altar fast enough. I stopped standing beside Jesus and leaning on Jesus and knowing about Jesus and I rested in Jesus. I'm telling you, my life changed that night. I had hope for the first time, I had purpose for the first time and I was not perfect, but I was beginning a journey of being perfected and that journey is still in progress. But I can look back and say to you, there was a definitive moment where I sat in the gospel for the very first time and my life has never been the same. If they would have given me an opportunity to be baptized, I would have been baptized on the spot. If they would have made it available, I'd have done a cannonball right there in the baptistry. All I knew, I needed Jesus and if he wanted me, I wanted everything there was of him. I didn't have that and so I got baptized a few days later but I was so eager because Jesus was my Lord. I had been baptized as a kid, but I didn't know him then. You couldn't have kept me out of the water because if this is what Jesus has done for my life, I want to tell people. That experience changed my life because I went from standing to resting. Where are you? Where are you this morning? There's some of you in this room. I have described your relationship with Jesus. Great affection great knowledge, great awareness, but you've never transferred your life. You're still in charge of your life. And look, we don't have to argue. Like you can just look at last week and, and see probably from many of your lives that, I mean, there's no thought of God. There's no pursuit of God. There's no desire of God. If you look back even further, you go, okay, yeah, there's been moments, but there's not, Jesus is not the Lord of my life. I've never surrendered to him. Now you can fool other people, but you can't fool Jesus. Maybe today you need to believe in him and be baptized for the first time, truly resting in him.
Others of you, you believe in him, but you've never been baptized. What if Holy Spirit brought you to this Easter service, not so that you could resurrect, experience Jesus' resurrection or celebrate Jesus' resurrection, but so you'd experience your own? I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and I'm gonna just say to you, for your head bowed and eyes closed, if you're sensing the Holy Spirit stirring in your heart, I want you to know that today is the day for you. Don't resist him. Right now, where you are, you can pray a simple prayer. And I want you to hear me say this is you just listen in. This prayer, mimicking my words and just going through lip service does not bring salvation. What did Jesus say? Believe. Believe. Here's what these words do. These words help you articulate what it looks like to sit in the chair. So where you are, if you're sensing, man, I don't know that I've ever said, I think you described me. I stand next. I believe about, but I've never rested in him. I've never had my life truly transformed, but I want to. But I want you to pray a simple prayer. Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you to save me. I don't wanna stand next to you. I don't wanna just know about you. I wanna rest my life in you. I repent of life on my own. I turn from my sin. I want you to take over my life. I wanna live the resurrected life. Jesus, save me. Help me sit in the chair of the gospel. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed and every eye closed, some of you in this room, you just prayed that prayer and you need to be baptized today. Others of you, you need to be baptized. You've believed already, but you've never been baptized. Like what would keep you from the day that we celebrate the resurrection for you to celebrate the resurrection in the clearest way, which is through baptism? Take the posture of Emily from last night. I don't wanna go another day without this taking place. So what I'm gonna call you to do, I'm gonna do it unapologetically. I'm gonna do it boldly and I'm gonna expect you to be obedient. It's gonna take courage for you to do this. But I want you to know that nothing matters in the world right now more than your response in this moment. And so if you prayed to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you just did that a few moments ago, you say, I sat in the chair or I wanna sit in the chair. I gotta get this settled before I leave. I wanna be baptized, whether you've been saved already and never baptized, or maybe today is the day of salvation and you need to be baptized. So if you are, are saying today is the day for me to be saved and to be baptized, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to have the courage to stand to your feet right now, as many have done all weekend long. Just stand to your feet right now. I know this takes courage. Tell the person next to you, hey, I need you to stand with me. I need your help. But right now, stand to your feet. Say, I just prayed with you to receive Christ. I sat in the chair for the very first time, or I want to, or I need to be baptized. I want you to stand to your feet where you are. This takes courage, but if you're not gonna stand for him in this room, you're gonna have a hard time standing for him outside this room. Stand to your feet. Praise Jesus for obedience. Anyone else?
Anyone else? For those of standing, praise God over here. For those standing, I'm gonna ask you to slip out of your seat and there's gonna be some decision encouragers in a section. So if you're in the section, if you don't mind getting your hand up and waving at the people standing, if they're in your section, just call them towards you. What we're gonna do now is, is have you talk with some folks and we're gonna get this settled today. Is there anyone else? Praise God. Anyone else? Takes a lot of courage. I'm gonna ask you to stand if you would. Stand if you would in this room. I wanna do something for us. By the way, first of all, let's celebrate life change that just happened in the room. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads, bow your heads just for a moment. I wanna do something that's a little different. We've not done this in the services. If you're in the room, I'm not gonna call you forward, but if you're in the room and you're like, man, I know Jesus, but I also know that I need Jesus to come through for me in some very real areas of my life. I need the hope, I need answers, I need direction. I just want you to do me a favor with no one looking around but me and some of our encouragers. Just slip your hand up really high. Now, I just need some answers. I need Jesus. If he's alive, I need him to come through for me. Praise God. Just lift your hand up. I wanna pray for you. Now, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray for you. And then Pastor Brad's gonna come up and we're gonna be dismissed. But I want you, if your hands are raised, here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna pray over you. And as I'm praying, I want you to just echo this prayer in your mind to the Lord and just agree with me as we ask the resurrected Jesus to work in your life. Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, that you are alive and that you are working in a very real and powerful way. And Jesus, we are asking that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would move in the life of every person whose hand is lifted. I pray that you will show yourself faithful. You will bring healing and hope and deliverance and answers. And God, that you would show them that they're not alone in the season that they're in. Jesus, you are alive, which means you are present and we can have access to you because we are in you. And so Lord, I'm asking that you would show your power in each circumstance in every life in this moment. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus and God's people said, amen, amen.